You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Spain and Fitz podcast. A little pre-party action today for a couple of reasons. One, we have a, a guest tonight for the pre-party because Courtney uh, Cronin is filling in for Fitz for most of tonight's show. But Fitz will be around for one segment. Uh, he's I, I know you guys understand this. He's taking this cheating thing way too far. Uh, because now he's doing the whole drop in and pretend that we're going to have our, you know, radio husband, radio wife night together. And then he's promptly going to peel out and spend time with the mistresses instead. Uh, I appreciate Courtney being there for me to console me. Uh, and because he will be ditching me again, we decided we'll give you a little taste of uh, of fits in the pre-party to make sure you don't get just one segment tonight. But I thought and- I thought we were in like an open relationship. Like, I thought uh, that's no. One- oh, no, uh, oh. I continue to be left home. Yeah. Uh, home being our show, of course, while you gallivant around in other people's homes. But what about all the times uh, that I see you on like big famous TV shows? Like you're on big. big uh, are any TV? of those during our radio show? No, no, no. But still, uh, like, exactly. never... so I'm not cheating on you. I'm actually going to work and then coming back to oh, our okay. home okay. to spend time with you at night, every night uh, after work. After work, I spend every night with my radio husband. And you uh, instead choose to uh, if, if, but in fairness, find other people to spend time with. If I was going to cheat on you, do you think it'd really be with a hairy, balding, you know, Field large Yates? man? Absolutely. No, no. I was talking I, about Michael yeah. Jr. You know, oh, okay. hairy, mm-hmm. hairy, balding, yeah, yeah. large man. I mean, he is all of those things. <laughs> but I, I, don't tell him I said that, though. Uh, this has become awkward for Courtney. Uh, we didn't <laughs> tell her this was going to be a therapy session. And here we are. Uh, and she's right right in the middle of it. Courtney, whose side Courtney, would you take on this part? Weirdly no, enough, no. though, Fitz, if you had to, if you, wouldn't you think Courtney would, first of all, make a good therapist, but also central casting-wise, just looks like she could be the therapist? That is that is a fair... Uh, Courtney, do you, are you are you ready for this role in our show? Like, it's going to be the last time Courtney ever agrees to fill in for now sure. that we've made this particularly awkward for I mean, I think that this comes with the territory. Like, I can't pick sides, even though I'm going to be hosting with Sarah for most of the night. Big I mistake. should have her. Uh-huh. I should have Huge. her back on this, and yeah. I really should. Big problem. You know, take her side. But I, I if you can get me, like, in what is it? Um, not 13 going on 30. How to lose a guy in 10 days. Remember mm, what's her mm-hmm. name? Catherine, whatever. Like those yeah. glasses. She's when always she shows the best up. friend. Oh yeah. She, yeah. And she shows up as like the therapist when. Um, <laughs> yeah. They bring Matthew McConaughey there. Give me that look, and I will gladly be the therapist <laughs> here. I don't know why, but that look is just striking with me right now, and that's what Catherine I want Hahn, to be. Catherine uh, Hahn. Catherine Hahn. And uh, great movie, by the way. Uh, no matter how many movies you see where there's an elaborate setup and at the end. So I was just a bet to you. But no, I really did fall in love. Okay, in we're in love. In 10 days. Doesn't matter how many times. I'm going to like it every time. Every time. Doesn't matter. Um, okay, so you're not a therapist right now. We are both just going to be um, listeners as Fitz unloads, and I did use that word mm-hmm. on purpose, um, something going on in his life. And if you've listened to the pre-party and the after-party here on the Spain and Fitz podcast before, you may recall that Fitz has had some unfortunate interactions with his neighbors, mostly involving the windows being open and expletives going from his household during a Raiders game right over to their cozy porch where they're trying to sit and enjoy, you know, a, a glass of milk or a book or whatever the hell old people do on their porch. Um, so judge me. They sit there like, judge me from the yeah, porch. That's what they do. This is going to be like strike 11 teen for you. Okay. And that is fair. See, but there there are layers to this, Sarah. Okay. Uh, you know, last week we had some big storms in Connecticut and one of my, like I have the, a couple of really large windows in this house that I bought up here and water started coming in from outside. So I'm like dealing with all this stuff, but I got a buddy that works windows and he taught me how to fix it. So I'm like, I'm, I'm learning how to be more into some of these things, but 
I'm sitting there a couple of days ago and I realized that like there's obviously in my living room a spot in the ceiling that is wet and it's directly under the master bathroom. So it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out I got a problem. So I go get one of those like readers that tells you how wet or dry the, the ceiling is or the wall is. I put it up, says 100% wet. So I shut it all down. I'm like not using that bathroom. I get everything figured out. I, a plumber comes yesterday to look at this situation and this is where things get weird. Like yesterday he comes and uh, because of the way the pipes are in the house, I like he was like I may need to go downstairs depending on how how all of your pipes connect. So I go downstairs to make sure everything's good like so that he can get to where he needs to get in the laundry area and there's this huge puddle of water downstairs. I'm like, well, this oh, is no. new. So he he comes down and looks and says, yeah, it's not related. It, it you know shows me something to tighten up. He's like, that, that'll that fix that. Then he goes back upstairs, looks at it. I have plaster ceilings in this house, so he can't touch it. Like, he's not allowed to. So I got to get like a plaster specialist, like all these different things. So I, I, all, all morning, I'm sitting on the phone with different plumbers trying to find somebody that will work on something that requires you cut into plaster. This has been very complicated. So finally, I get a little stressed today and I'm like, you know what? Uh, I am going to go to go just grab some Starbucks. I usually make my own coffee now because I'm cheap, but I'm going to go get Starbucks, right? So I mask up, I walk out, and I, I think, man, it really smells like you know what outside. I look to the right, <laughs> and there is just an ocean of, I don't know, an iceberg. There's an ocean of poop all over it's the- It's a uh, pre-party. You uh, can say shit. Uh, there's an ocean of shit, and I mean just an ocean of it. Now- I, I'm a basically a bachelor. Like my wife is still in Nashville. Like there is no way that oh, I'm she creating would be the one this that would much. Get, oh, okay, yeah. okay, okay. Yeah. I thought it was about who was cleaning it up. Oh no, uh, no, no, no. This is entirely no. about who produced the shit. Yeah, no. Well, and I'm looking at it thinking, there's. I've only lived in this house for a year. There's no way. Like this is more than a year's worth. Like it is. It is whoa, out the house. Whoa, like, that's how much shit was there. Oh, more it's than every, a year's worth of shit. It, it was a puddle. Like I got a mini pond. So oh. I, I call like I'm calling a plumber and I'm like I don't uh, and and again like I don't, I don't know some of this stuff. I'm not a man's man right so he says to me he's like well what about the trap in your house I'm like uh, uh, please go on and so <laughs> it turns out that there's like a venting thing that you're supposed to look for in a pipe that has like a little grate on top of it all of which I found in the puddle of shit so <gasps> as I find this I'm like okay whoa, now what whoa, do I do whoa. so you were picking through the puddle well I I got some sticks and had to like slush so you through were the puddle. poking through the puddle yeah. Poking through the puddle. And I was, found the trap. Yeah, I found the trap. That I found sounds the trap. dirty, by the way. This? Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, that sounds like real dirty. You were yeah. poking through the puddle and found the trap. Anyway, go ahead. By the way, the shoes uh, and the sweatpants oh. that were worn during this process are now in the trash. They're gone. They're, oh. they're, they're, they're officially gone. So I finally call, and it turns out like a, a different plumber refers me to like a rotor rooter guy. He's like, yeah, somebody needs to snake your house. And I'm like, this is impossible. So this afternoon, the guy comes over, has to take a section of paneling off the wall to figure out where the trap is inside the house, has to run this massive snake, which is like shaking the whole house as he does it. And then he looks at me, he's like, oh yeah, because this house was built in the 40s. And he's like, yeah, this could be like 50 years worth of shit that's just clogged. And as a result, as he followed the pipes that are under the house, like in the basement, I'm barely ever in the basement, right? There's like little puddles all over the basement oh, no. uh, because the water's been so stuck in the pipe but hasn't been able to move for the last couple of days. He's like, yeah. All right, let me ask you an important question. Yes. Are you a wet wipes in the bathroom kind of guy? No, no, I'm not a wet wipes. Like this, this, this is- I just want people to know that even the ones that say flushable just still don't flush them. Like, because there's like one brand that's been proven to actually be okay to flush and everybody thinks that they have the brand because all the brands say that they can and then just Google flushable wipes and look at the- you know those Rat Kings that pop up? Have you ever heard of the Rat King or King Rat? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
It's where they like all their tails get connected and they're like living in a disgusting intertwined sort of bound together many, many rats. It's like that, but made of flushable wipes and they, they get completely stuck in people's pipes and cities pipes and they cause massive amounts of damage and it costs tons of money. And yeah, I thought maybe that was your problem. No, I'm none of those. Like the, the great thing is, I mean, the guy was super nice. He, he snaked the whole thing, found the trap and like he took care of everything. And then afterwards I said like, what should I do maintenance wise? And he's like, honestly, you'll probably never have a problem again. He's like, but it was difficult to get through. He's like, I think you had decades of sludge caught in the pipes and you would never know until it becomes an issue. But then I had to go through the house and like bleach out and wipe up the little mini puddles of of dripped shit all over the all over. Oh, your house yeah. is full of shit. Yeah, my 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 house is full. And so that Solves that, but by the way, I still in the upstairs. Is it solved? Uh, well, yes, it is now like solved. Like nothing's leaking anymore. Nothing's leaking. Elect- we so- ran all the water. We we flushed all the toilets. He was good to like everything was good to go, and uh, and miraculously he took care of it. Uh, you know, like a, like a, a prince. You know, but in the meantime, I still have a leaking master bathroom that's affecting the the ceiling. So I haven't even <sighs> accomplished the one thing that I set out today. I was like, I'm gonna find a plumber and a drywall person that can fix this issue. Didn't get through that. But then the weird thing, like the difference between the north and the south like i've owned houses i mean i'm 43 i bought my first house when i was probably 21 22 i've owned houses for 20 years guy looks at me he's like well who's your plumber and i'm like i I don't like i don't have a plumber like what do we have enough issues like there's this weird thing in new New england where everybody has like a plumber and electrician all these things on call and like in the south that's just not the way it works like it's just not the same so i said i was like i don't have a plumber and he's like you don't have a plumber how long have you had this house i'm like a year and he's like well, you got to find a plumber that gets to know the house. And I'm like, this what? is a thing? I've never heard of that either. Oh, yeah. No, and I was texting like is Gary- Is this a Connecticut thing? I, I, it's a New England thing because as I, it was explained to me by him and then a couple of my buddies. Uh, the the houses are older here. The water's really rough here in general like because of whatever's in it. So there's more plumbing issues here. And people, you know, it's just how people make a living, I guess. But I, I called two of my buddies that work at ESPN, and they were both like, oh, man, dude, you haven't found a plumber yet? Like, let me give you my guy. No and I'm like, way. What, what is this? Like, That's I, wild. I, and so, so would you say that the, the, the plumbing there is antediluvian? Oh, if I, yes, I That's would say. That's a joke for three of us. Mm-hmm. Just three of us. And fine bomb, we he's four. Just listening to if Feinbaum <laughs> listens, it's for him too. We were just listening to sound, and I heard Feinbaum say the word antediluvian, which I have never heard, and now I'm going to try to use as often as possible, so it just slides right in to the lexicon. And it, you know, it means a terribly old-fashioned, pre-flood, uh, you know, before b- biblical times. I was. And, uh, uh, I, I used it perfectly there. I'm so proud of myself. Y- you, you, the did. turnaround on that. Just minutes. I uh, I did lose my mind though when I was talking to like I just wanted to get the information in case with not with the the sewage but with the upstairs thing because it's going to be very complicated to get to the pipes to fix this leak. I called like the homeowners insurance people. I'm trying to figure out like do I need to make a claim? How to because according to multiple assessments that I've already gotten, I will end up having to replace the entire ceiling in that room because of the plaster. So like that's a a huge oh. job. And the guy on the the, the homeowners guy is like, well, you know what, ma'am? All I can tell you is, welcome to owning a house. That's just what it is. And I was like, <laughs> dude, I've owned houses for 20 years. It is not what it is. Like, you have uh, hit me on the wrong nerve. Welcome to Connecticut is yeah. actually what that person meant. Uh, you got any shit in your house, Courtney? I don't. Uh, I also rent, which I think I want to keep doing. For, for the rest of your life, yes. After, after hearing this tale. Um, 
Are you are you out of your parents' home and your childhood bedroom with the Spice yes, Girls? Yes, yes. I left a couple. <laughs> left uh, in June. I'm back in Minneapolis <laughs> okay. in my townhouse that I do not have any plumbing problems with yet. Um, I just, I mean, does it smell? I don't think we got to that part oh, it yet, takes Jason. So long like, to get that underlying stink. Uh, okay, is so, that like, are you nose blind to it? Oh, thank or, God! Didn't you no. just go to Bath and Body Works on the candle sale day? Oh my God! I mean, I I abused Bath and Body Works on candle sale day. <laughs> thank you very much. Uh, it, child's play to think that you're going to control, like you're going to keep me to 18. Good luck, Bath and Body Works. I've got systems too. Uh, so <laughs> uh, I will. I'm not proud of that comment. I will say. Uh, la- Yesterday, last night, I was walking around my living or my dining room, which is right by the kitchen, which turns out is right where these pipes are outside. I was walking around the dining room and I was thinking, man, the room just smells weird. Like it didn't smell like shit. It just smelled weird. And as I was walking around, I was like, I can't find anything, any reason it smells weird. I must be losing my mind. And then today, uh, all of this came uh, erupting like out. in the walls. Yeah. Yeah, the and the pipes directly in the walls. It's the pipes. I like to think of the, you know, but uh, yes, there are a lot of that's like a lot have, of candles in my house. You have a lot of dogs, yeah. so you you are aware that uh, you can walk into a room and in seconds be like, okay, where is it? Right, yep. like you just know, and it's not like even I don't want to get into too many details where we're picking apart various poop smells, but it's like that kind of like been there for a while. It's in a corner somewhere. It's already simmered down a little bit, but the underlying stink remains. It's not a fresh poop. It's like, you know, anyway. And then when you clean it up, you're like, all right, now I got to leave for a while. Come back and see if the smell is actually gone or if I've just become accustomed to it. Because if you go to another room for a while and come back and there's still that like low level stink. If anybody's ever had a dog and, and one of the older ones that we lost last year, always her whole life had an issue with her anal glands and if they okay, get really banks. yeah you're welcome if they mm-hmm. get really swollen well i said banks oh banks but i thought you said banks, banks. Oh, you're but also my dog banks will just squirm around and express his own anal glands right in the middle of hanging out with me on the couch and it is such a unique smell oh, yeah. that uh, you know this was last year i i met a buddy's puppy for the first time and i immediately was like oh my god she's so cute by the way you need to go get her anal glands checked yeah, and he's like what are you talking about i'm like no yeah once you know you know that is definitely Courtney, do you know what we're talking about not at all okay so certain kinds of dogs need to have their anal glands expressed which mm-hmm. basically means like punctured so that they aren't full of like this, basically this sack that's full of contents that smell disgusting. And so some of them you need to go to the vet and like, literally they like use a gloved finger and like press them. Yep. Yeah. Just think of a baby water balloon full of the worst smell you've ever oh. smelled. But it, it, uh, some dogs don't need it. They just do it naturally and you never really smell it or notice other dogs like my dog, uh, it happens without us being able to control it. And the smell, it doesn't even smell like butt so much or poop as it does like almost like fishy, Fish. m- metallic, yeah. chemical vibes. Yeah, it's got a very uh, aluminum meets fish meets oh, poop smell. Yeah. And uh. it's not uncommon in puppies that have come out of rescue situations because of the, the, the way they eat and some of the bacteria that gets in their stomach. So, like, having worked a lot with rescue dogs, I'm very used to it. And, I'm, like I said, I had one 
that as she got older, like she struggled with it as a puppy and then she struggled with it for the last three, four years of her life. And you just get used to it. But to the point of my my nose, like I can smell like I can smell a funk from a mile away. Like there is no <laughs> oh, yeah. no doubt. And so yeah. I, there was something weird in the house yesterday. I now know that apparently that's just <laughs> a puddle of poop outside the wall. <laughs> oh wow, what a delightful pre party. Really? It has been. It's just so different. <laughs> Uh, Courtney, anything to add? Uh, you know, anal gland or poop puddles or anything else? Is an anal gland, I'm just trying to picture, I, can't, I mean, I don't own dogs. Um, is it like a hemorrhoid? Is that what you're saying? No, I think that they are not, like, I think all dogs have anal glands. Mm-hmm. They're little, like, sacs um, right by their buttholes. Um, <laughs> but many of them, they don't get fill, filled or 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 I guess blown up like a water balloon. Many of them are just there and they handle themselves. Do you remember um, the, the bubble gum as a kid that was like the square gum that had the, the liquid center and like you would yeah, bite into gushers. it? And go, yeah. That's gushers? exactly that, that That's yeah. so disgusting. That's anal glands. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> this might be our best pre party. This is the grossest. I don't think anyone's sticking around for the sports. <laughs> How can we top this? Oh, uh, well, anyway, Fitz, sorry about your shit house. Um, <laughs> uh, wait, real quick, this puddle. Help me out with the location. Closer to the older people or the alderman? Uh, closer to the alderman. Yeah, oh, and I'm great. sure. I'm sure. Like, I'm sure the whole the way this neighborhood works. I'm sure everybody had their eyes out. Like when the Reuter guy <laughs> came out, like they're looking over, like, "What's he doing? He's probably okay, so flushing." So I'm not going to tell the full story, but I have a friend who is a giant man who used to play college football, very recognizable, and he once essentially had to pay someone in line at the Blackhawks game to cut the line to use the stall because things were happening. And then, you know, everyone's in line. It's intermission of a hockey game. It's in men's room at a stadium, so the line goes out the door and everyone can hear everything that's going on in the stall. So he walks out. Uh, he knows people could hear. There's, I think he probably blushed a little, maybe even took a bow on his way out. But like a month later, because he's, he's in season ticket seats, he comes back and he's in the same bathroom and someone goes, hey, it's the shit monster. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and now he is forever known in that section of the Blackhawks and that area and that bathroom. He will, every once in a while, someone in line will be like, hey, shit monster. <laughs> and that is your house. That is, so just so you know, it's a beautiful house that I love so much. But now your neighbors it's the, are going to yeah. drive by and be like, "Hey, look, it's a shit house." God, my neighbors have <laughs> got to think that like they're weird, just just weird stuff happening inside that house. Between my language on Sundays and now, like the random things happening outside. Yeah, just yeah. wait till you have all those mannequins in there as well. <sighs> Closets full of bodies. Just add that to the mix. No. You're going to end up like the neighbor in Home Alone when you're older. <laughs> it's some kid nearby is going to. Oh, you're, you're the so guy right. with the shovel. Yeah, that's that neighbor. One time he had a bunch of bodies in his closet and his whole yard was full of shit. Oh, man, don't tempt me. There's a local department store that's going out of business that I saw advertising <laughs> mannequins. So, By the way, <sighs> have you ever had that guy on your lawn uh, no, for your Christmas no. display? No, I need to. You oh, my sh- God. That's an easy one. Oh, my God, yes. Uh, yeah. Suggest that to the boss. Yeah, all you need is a snow shovel and you know a friendly face. <laughs> anyway, thanks for coming to the pre-party. Sorry about the poop, um, which is also the sign that's going to be outside of Fitz's house for the next six months. Just a big <laughs> handwritten sign that says sorry about the poop. 
Uh, stick around for the show, would you? You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Happy Tuesday, everybody. It's Sarah Spain. A little bit of Jason Fitz. Woo! Courtney Cronin. Little three woman weave on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Uh, we are presented by Progressive Insurance. Guests are going to join us on the Shell Penzo Performance Line. You can always join us by being a part of the Spain and Fitz Nation on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. ESPN Nation presented by Dr. Pepper. The college football season is heating up, and so is your favorite Dr. Pepper-loving college football town, Fansville. Head to a store near you to treat your inner college football fan to an ice-cold 20-ounce Dr. Pepper today. And yeah, you heard me right. There's three of us, but not for long, because as you know, Tuesdays is one of the nights that Fitz cheats on me. Thankfully, Courtney Cronin is around to uh, to make me feel better, to uh, help me get through the night. And we had a little bit of a fun pre-party uh, tonight as well that you'll be able to hear when the podcast goes up later. It was uh, something, uh, is all I'll say about that. Uh, Fitz, since you're not going to be around long, let's pick your brain a little bit on the college football rankings that are going to be coming out any minute here. Uh, that is usually where you head off to on Tuesday to react to said rankings. How big of a deal is uh, this Ohio State-Michigan cancellation in terms of how you're viewing where, where Ohio State might sit tonight? If I was on the committee, it wouldn't matter to me, but I think it does matter to this committee. Gary Barta is the committee chairman, and last week when we talked to him on rankings reaction, I, I specifically asked him how concerned they are about the number of games, and he made no bones about it, that it's a big part of the conversation. How do you compare resumes to a team that's only played a few games to other resumes, especially because Ohio State hasn't necessarily played the toughest resume either so I, I this is a big deal for the committee it might not reflect tonight because obviously they're going on on the basis of the work that they have in front of them but uh, Sarah I think that a week from now if they don't get a game plate of some sort this weekend it could have ramifications now we cool. know to tomorrow that um, there's going to be a meeting with Big Ten athletic directors to discuss changing that six game rule so indeed Ohio State could play in the conference title game even though they don't have six games, or at least they won't at that point under the record. Um, do you think that's going to pass? I mean, what's the vibe that you get that people are going to want to try to walk back yet another thing the Big Ten did not do correctly in trying to get set up for this unprecedented season? You know, you make such a good point that, like, this you got to stress this. The College Football Playoff Committee has never said there's a minimum number of games. It's the Big Ten that said that. And every time I've talked to Heather Dinich or any other people that we know around the Big Ten about how Big Ten leaders actually feel, nothing has changed in their mind. Like, they are set on this number of games. What I think is more realistic, rather than squeezing them into the Big Ten championship game, is they'll allow them to pick up a game somewhere else if there's COVID, uh, if there is that ability in a COVID world for somebody else within the conference. I think that's what they're going to be looking for. So, you know, and, and of note for the committee, I mean, the rankings are coming out right now. Indiana still sits at 12. So the the committee's at least giving Ohio State one big win over Indiana. That's like the one calling card that Ohio State will still have. Well, let me ask you this, because I read about the criteria, and usually there's a ton of stuff that will be listed. Strength of schedule, relative offense, or, or, you know, analytics that you can use to compare across different um, conferences. This year, the entire list is, uh, if if I'm reading this correctly, eye test, head-to-head record, if applicable, and conference championship, if applicable. If that's it, does that mean each of those things means more? Or could we argue that Ohio State could have just as good of a shot to make the college football playoff, even if they don't finagle a way to make it in the conference 
championship the same way that a Notre Dame or any team that's unaffiliated would have done so in the past. Yeah, I think they could still go to the playoff, but you're right. I mean, uh, the fact is usually strength of record and you know strength of resume and game control, these are all metrics that the committee uses. But this year, because the body of work is so different, they still have those metrics available. But every time you talk to anybody around it, they consistently tell you, well, you know, the eye test tells me. And like, I mean, we see Georgia is still a top 10 team, team even though they have two losses. So it tells you how much they do value what they just watch and say okay that football team looks like they're pretty good and that's dangerous to me because if you just use the eye test then nobody ever has to justify anything other than just saying just because and that's weird to me it seems like the just because thing is going to be the reason that they change rules here and there um at least with the big 10 um i find that interesting because going back to the beginning of the season the big 10 and the sec both decided this summer that they're going to do conference only schedules um with Ohio State not being able to play Michigan this weekend, and now we find out just breaking a couple minutes ago that Indiana's dealing with its own COVID cases and Purdue's dealing with its own COVID cases. So it's not like they could just find one of those opponents who were supposed to be playing each other this weekend potentially uh, as a rescheduling, you know, a, a partner for this weekend. But do you think there is any chance in this universe that, you know, Texas A&M also is not playing this week. They're, you know, coming out in the rankings right now. Um, is there any possible chance that we see them change a rule where Texas A&M and Ohio State could play this weekend to get that sixth game? I can see that, but what's the benefit for, I mean, Ohio State does have a benefit in needing to get another game play, but boy, Texas A&M would be desperate for that, right? Like, because they need another big win. They They have a huge blowout loss, which seems to be the one thing on the calendar that nobody can forgive, because in the past, you get blown out, the committee says you don't get to make the playoffs, so you know, I, I could see them trying to get that done. That would take both sides, the SEC and the Big Ten, though, helping each other, and and you know, Courtney, I always go back to, before all of this started in the spring, and or in the fall, I should say, uh, when they had to make the decision about when to play games, the Big Ten and the SEC didn't help each other then, so I have a hard time imagining they're going to help each other now. And and by the way, the, as the rankings come out, there's already, to me, a shocker. Iowa State, with two losses, has gone up in the rankings. They're mm-hmm. ahead of Cincinnati at this point. So Iowa State goes up, even though they didn't do anything necessarily amazing. They beat West Virginia. West Virginia's bad, but they, they went up in the rankings. So uh, they're telling you, I, I just can't figure out, like, two losses does not seem to matter to this committee. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain. Jason Fitz here for a little bit. Courtney Cronin filling him filling in for him for the rest of the show. Two quick things I want to get to before Fitz has to head out. So so quick response on this one. We're talking so much about relations and how it's affecting games right now in pursuit of a playoff. Have we heard anything about expectations for what happens if a team that is in that playoff is affected? <laughs> no. Do we have multiple weeks ready? Do we have a bubble plan? Like, Do we have any idea of how we're going to avoid this happening as it continues to ramp up with more and more teams affected every week? They've avoided the question every time. They just say they're looking at all options. I mean, that's the honestly... (laughs) It's not bad, though. I I mean, mean, it's better than making a promise because we see what keeps happening with the promises. Well, maybe you don't need quite so many games. Well, maybe we won't be skipping the season entirely, right? So I guess... Uh, why commit to something if they don't have an answer? Well, there was a there was one point where the rumor mill was churning that they were just going to bring in whoever number five was and, and move them in Ooh. if that was a problem. But that's been since shot down as, hey, that is not in stone. It's still a possibility, but it's not in stone. So I honestly, I think that they're just trying to, to skate at this point and hope that they don't have to deal with it. They'll make that decision if and when they do have to deal with yeah. it, uh, which is which is scary in and of itself.
All right, last quick question. It's great sound from Paul Feinbaum today on the Paul Feinbaum Show talking about that BYU Coastal game. Here's what he had to say. Yeah, I, I think it shows that, that the antediluvian attitude toward college football has to change. And, and Zubin, what I mean by that is, you know, Alabama will announce one day we're playing Nebraska in 2054. <laughs> I mean, these schedules don't need to be done 30 years in advance. I mean, that game was done on the fly. It was the best game of the year in college football. And I just wish that and, you know, we could be more flexible. I mean, you could find games the next two weeks that might fit the bill. But I realize it's chaos, and I realize that we're in the year of COVID. But uh, athletic directors need to be, be more, more flexible in the future about scheduling as opposed to all these way, way down yonder uh, games that don't make any sense. First of all, antediluvian, adding it to my vocabulary immediately. Great word. Quickly, Courtney, this seems like a no-brainer to me. Leave a week near the end of the season where you could schedule non-conference games and you could either shore up your position or you can prove in one last-ditch effort something that the committee hasn't seen yet. Yeah, and I mean, as we saw last week with Coastal Carolina and BYU, you don't necessarily need all this time to, to prep for an opponent. And I think it actually like ups the ante a little bit. Like, I mean, this year, obviously it's unprecedented when you see teams that have two, three, even four days max to prepare for an opponent and to get this whole thing together. But once given some time, I honestly think that could create some really fun rivalries that start next year and can continue on down the road. I love the thought too, Courtney, of, of fan bases sitting there angry that one fan base won't give them one team won't give them the game they so desperately need to get into the playoff i mean that will fire people up i, I love the idea content uh, it's Spain and fit cspn radio brought to you by my computer career training for a better life gonna bring in an expert in about 20 minutes to break down these rankings as they come in coming up courtney and i are gonna talk Wentz losing his starting gig and her inside look at the vikings recent run it's coming up next spain and fits the podcast Selection committee makes its playoff rankings. Same top four, Bama, Notre Dame, Clemson, Ohio State, and then things shift a little bit after that. We'll have an expert on in about 15 minutes to go over the latest rankings. Remember, they are for right now, and they don't predict what will happen down the line. But, of course, good to argue about it each and every time they come out, especially because of how weird this season is and how difficult it is to compare teams against one another. We'll get into that in a few. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Don't forget to subscribe to the, subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Courtney, I've been doing this thing all day where I only say half of a word. I, I think it's because I listened to a lot of Stugatz today, and he has a tendency to just skip the parts of words he doesn't feel like saying. So um, feel free to point it out if at any point you have no idea what I'm saying because I have failed to include important consonants or vowels. Uh, Do you just, think that your brain might be still like clouded with antediluvian and trying might to figure be. out where to use that? It's See, possible look, I get, that I, I have, get a ding now too. And yeah, it's, it's possible that the little journey I took uh, learning new words like ultra crepidarian and uh, antediluvian and snacksident, which is my new favorite. Snacksident, where you mean to eat maybe just one cookie and eat the whole bag. Um, <laughs> it's possible that my brain is trying to uh, acquiesce to this, these new additions and is unable to then re respond by uh, being able to formulate words that already existed within my vocabulary. Uh, we will get to uh, snacksidents and otherwise in a bit, but I wanted to get to Wentz because we were playing some sound yesterday from Doug Peterson of the Eagles and the hemming and hawing of I can't give you any information about how we're going to decide who our starter is because if I tell you anything, you will easily be able to either deduce who that person is or hold it against us when it appears that the decision we've made has not been based on those criteria at all. 
So instead, he gives us nothing. He said, that's information for me and only me. And then today we get the real information. Jalen Hurts set to get the start. Wentz benched. This is so much more than just a promising young player with a massive contract. This is a, what is it, $59 million cap hit? If, yeah, if in, they in, move dead, away. in dead cap next yeah, year if they were just, to... It's just impossible. There's no way. Like just that is, an that is unbelievable a- contract to try to extract themselves from. Sal Palantonio, our ESPN NFL reporter, was on Greeny with Mike Greenberg and said, you know, if Hertz takes this opportunity and runs with it, what happens next? How well does Jalen Hurts play? Does Jalen Hurts play well enough where the team wins a couple of ball games down the stretch? And what does that say about the head coach who decided to leave Jalen Hurts on the sidelines for so long? and watch his team languish and the energy evaporate within his organization. The biggest thing is the cap number at $59 million next year for Carson Wentz. What happens in the offseason with any kind of contractual restructuring for the quarterback? I mean, there's so many unanswered questions that it's very hard to predict what happens uh, with Carson Wentz and the Eagles. All right, let's tackle a couple pieces of that, Courtney. Let's start with... How bad is it for Peterson? We've been focused so much on Wentz. We've kind of forgotten, is this guy in the hot seat? And how much trouble would he be in if if Hurts is great and it took him this long to decide to go to him? I mean, Sal Pal brings up a good point. Like, that is a move that you would think ownership and your front office is going to be like, you guys were sitting on this and we are how bad this year? Why Unless did we it's not the pull opposite. the plug sooner? Unless yeah, it's the GM Unless... saying you can't sit Wentz. Look how much money we've given him. I'll look like an idiot it's and I'll true. be in big trouble. But I think, I mean, I still go back to this. Yeah, he signed the extension, 40 years, 128 uh, in 2019. Um, I, I think I still think that everything that they gave up to get him initially when he was drafted, um, that was worth it. A Super Bowl run that year in 17 does not happen without him. And he was elite that season. I know he got hurt. Nick Foles you know, t- took the baton and carried it on beyond – beyond that point but there's going to be a lot of people over the next few days wondering why didn't they pull the plug on him sooner and why didn't they you know move on and and try to figure this out well he didn't really have his chance to see it through I know you and I were talking pre-show about this that he finally got his window and with a contract like that it's going to be more than just a year whether it was up and down play whatever I mean he was going to be given every chance to fulfill that and it's just it hasn't worked at this point I honestly kind of think it's admirable when you have a draft pick a high draft pick in Jalen Hurts just kind of sitting there to move on what I think is honestly pretty quickly because you don't typically see franchises it's such a political move to cut bait essentially because there's no way Carson Wentz is going back into the starting lineup not this year it's not happening I mean if this doesn't work out it's just that yeah they finished the ceiling with Jason Jalen Hurts and it didn't work out unless there's an injury in which case True. Things get even wilder. Yeah. No, I mean, and this is not uh, a, a franchise that's immune to late December quarterback injuries, mm-hmm. as we found out for the last few years. And I just, the more I think about it, it's like, how do they get this guy off of their roster next year? Or, or you just have an incredibly expensive backup. Who wants that contract? Like, I don't think Carson Wentz is broken. I think he his confidence is completely shot. He's been sacked forty eight times this year. It's like nine more than than Russ, the second person, who, second most in Russell Wilson. Um, there really haven't. I mean, he lost Zach Ertz for a good part of this season. He hasn't looked the same guy. And maybe that's the pieces around him. Maybe it's him. But 
I think some of that too, you go back to the guy calling plays and you got go back to whose offense this is. And, and that to me shows you that Doug Peterson, you know, is, sh- is going to shoulder one way or another quite a bit of blame here, whatever happens. Yeah, it's really complicated because you do wonder where to point the blame. Is Wentz crumbling under a system that didn't serve him? Is Peterson at the behest of the people above him telling him to stick with a guy because of money decisions? It's a tough situation for Jalen Hurts, too. And one thing I will say is a couple years ago when they won the Super Bowl, Wentz got injured. Nick Foles came in and played hero. One of the things we said was, Wentz is a young guy, up-and-coming star. He's going to have his shot. And it kind of softened the blow a little of how disappointing it must be to lead a team to all of that success and then to get hurt before you can have that crowning moment at the Super Bowl level. Now you wonder, if he never makes it back anywhere near there, how much more that hurts to just – I mean, and injuries are always going to hurt, and, and missing out on a Super Bowl is always going to hurt. But, boy, it hurts more if your season uh, after that and if your career after that sort of looks like a downhill slope from from there. It's Spain and Fit, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin. Uh, let's talk about these Vikings that you cover. What the hell's happening? Are they good? Is Kirk Cousins good? What's happening? We're going to find that out this weekend uh, when they play a team with a winning record. And if they beat a team with a winning record at the time that they play them, if that team has a winning record, this will be their second win of the season against what you would consider good competition. Um, I think that the, you know right now, in trying to be as objective and look, you know, big picture view with this, like let's call Kirk Cousins' accomplishments, call them for what they are. They're really good right now. Like I know that everybody wants to kind of have like um, the asterisk next to it, be like, you know, he had two game-winning drives in back-to-back weeks, but he did it against Carolina and he did it against a one-win Jacksonville team. Like he led, he's been unbelievable in the fourth quarter, but who has he done it against? Like that's the type of stuff that is floating out there. And of course, like you want to see a team legitimized by playing good competition and they have a chance to do that this week with Tampa Bay. To me, this is the most important game left in no matter what happens from here on out, this decides everything. Well, and there's a lot to be decided for the Bucks as well because, sure. uh, boy, is that. We're, we're going to do a little mood swing segment later this week where we talk about the players and teams we've swung back and forth on the most this season, and the Bucks are certainly one of those teams. Uh, you know, from going from DVOA darlings to now people wondering if they've got what it takes. So uh, that's, that's going to be a big game. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive's Home Insurance. Get your quote at Progressive.com today. Coming up, Pete Futak going to take us through the latest CFP rankings. It's coming up next on Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. The latest college football playoff rankings are out. Top four remain the same. Some shuffling below. And with the latest COVID-affected games hitting some of the teams looking to make a move, we have lots to discuss. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz on ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance and joining us now to give us the straight talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. It's Pete Futak of collegefootballnews.com on the Shell Penzel performance line. Pete, let's just start big picture. You look at the latest rankings. What stands out to you the most or surprises you the most? How's it going? All right. What stands out more than anything else is that the committee is sort of locking itself in to the idea of saying, you know what, we really, really, really are going with the four best teams if possible. The other thing that you have to keep remembering, I know I say this every time I come on with you, is that while these rankings are interesting, they are a snapshot for right now. 
And to remember the mission statement of the college football playoff committee from the start of the whole thing six years ago, seven years ago now, is that they want conference championships. If you win your Power Five conference championship, that sort of beats just about anything else in a uh, when, they're, when they're looking at this. So wait till the very end and then see who wins their conference championships, and then it all gets the whole puzzle gets put together from there. What we basically know. Forget the other rankings, everything else. We kind of know that the ACC champion is going to get in, the SEC champion is going to get in. If Ohio State just wins one more game, I think they're a lot to get in. And then that fight's going to be for the fourth spot. So with that said, and we know Ryan Day is in the camp of the Big Ten should revisit the title game eligibility rule, which is six games. Um, let's say that the meeting tomorrow, that's apparently going to happen with all 14 athletic directors in the Big Ten conference, let's say that they vote that down. In your opinion, what are Ohio State's college football playoff chances if they miss out on that Big Ten title game? Uh, not at all because of the circumstances. If it was anything else, if you had – if there's any question whatsoever, it would be a big deal. But let's say they do strike it down and say, no, you know what, we're going to put, we're going to stick with our rules. It's going to be Indiana versus Northwestern for the Big Ten Championship. Well, the, the fact of the matter is Michigan State beat Northwestern two weeks ago, and then last week Ohio State just trucked them. So, like, okay, so if they're not playing Northwestern, we already kind of have our variable here that we know what happened. That you just look how badly Michigan State just got destroyed by Ohio State, and they beat Northwestern. So if Northwestern beat Indiana or played Indiana, no big deal because they're also going to have like a Champions Week thing. So the Iowa Wisconsin winner would probably play uh, Ohio State next week if Ohio State doesn't get in the Big Ten championship. And then Iowa Wisconsin, if let's say Iowa wins, uh, it'll probably be ranked fifteenth-ish uh, or so in the next round of college football playoff rankings. So if Ohio State beats Iowa pretty easily, I don't think there's going to be any deal. And they already said uh, last week that they liked Ohio State and put them in the top four, and they didn't do anything. They had a lousy resume and really had nothing to go by, and they stuck them in top four, and then they blow out Michigan State. So I think that just cements them even further in the, yeah, it's probably one of the four best teams thing, and we're just going to kind of blow off the, uh, the lack of games compared to some of the other teams thing. Pete Futag of collegefootballnews.com with us here on Spain and Fitz talking about the latest college football playoff rankings. One of the things Reese Davis pointed out smartly, if Clemson beats Notre Dame, if the selection committee decides to avoid a third matchup this season, the uh, CFP chair was sort of evasive on answering that. Uh, What do you make of the possibility of a third matchup there? Uh, Here's the problem. What happens in the SEC championship? Because it's pretty cut and dry in in a, Really, really easy world. Alabama beats Florida. Uh, Clemson beats Notre Dame close. And Ohio State really isn't a question mark. Then we got it. Then we know it's going to be Alabama's going to be the number one seed. And uh, Clemson and Ohio State would be 2-3 in some way. And Notre Dame would be 4. And we're all good. The problem is, what if Florida wins? Because if Florida beats Alabama, Alabama's in no matter what. As long as it doesn't get totally annihilated, Alabama's in. So if the Gators win that, the Gators are in. Alabama wins. Clemson wins. If Clemson beats Notre Dame, it's in. And Ohio State is in. And Notre Dame's probably out. And I know the Irish nation kind of have this assumption, well, we're in no matter what at this point. 
uh-uh. You need to, they, the Irish need to just make sure, their insurance policy is they need Bama to win to make sure of this. And I'll throw one other wrench in here from these latest rankings, and I'm the only human being on the planet who thinks this. I don't even think the Pac-12 thinks this. A big jump today for USC. If USC somehow can get through and be an undefeated Pac-12 champion, and there's haywire everywhere else, and let's say Notre Dame beats Clemson and Alabama beats Florida, we have an undefeated ACC champion, an undefeated Big Ten champion, let's say it's Ohio State gets there and does it, an undefeated SEC champion, and an undefeated Pac-12 champion. Don't overlook the, the thought that the committee might really love the idea of four undefeated Power Five conference champions representing all of college football. I think that's going to be a storyline if USC looks great against UCLA this weekend. Pete, were you surprised to see Iowa State uh, where they came in in the rankings at seven? Um, I know the big win over West Virginia was their most recent, uh, and they've got the they've got the Sooners this weekend at home, but. There was that loss earlier in the season to ULL, a 31-14 loss, and, and yep. they're, they're a top-10 team. Do you Are you surprised by that, and do you think at any point what happens here the next week or so, could a Big 12 champion get into the college football playoff? As I said to Sarah a couple weeks ago, the college football playoff committee is mean. It's not <laughs> giving a Big, Ten, Big 12 fan and Iowa State fan some sense of, well, maybe if this happens, if this happens – I don't get it. It has driven me up a wall from the start because not only did Louisiana beat Iowa State, they beat them 31-14 in Ames, and their only loss is by three points to a Coastal Carolina team that just beat BYU. Louisiana's ranked behind BYU. Louisiana's ranked way down there. Iowa State's up top. The Sunbelt Conference went 3-0 and against the Big 12, and those were the only real non-conference games for the Big 12. And then all of a sudden, the Big 12 starts playing each other. And, yeah, they look great because they're playing their other big, bad Big 12 teams. And then everyone moves up. So, really, if they're doing this right, if the committee was on its game, Coastal Carolina and Louisiana have to be ranked ahead of Iowa State and Oklahoma based on the results that are on the field. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain. Courtney Cronin in for Fitz tonight on ESPN Radio. You can weigh in on the CFP rankings on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed at Sarah Spain at Courtney R. Cronin, at Spain and Fitz. Pete Futak with us from collegefootballnews.com. Let me throw two conspiracy theory-type questions your way. See if you're biting on either one. Okay? So Courtney's positing that potentially teams are using COVID as a means by which to avoid games or affect their their, uh, rankings or or their coach status or otherwise. Uh, You could point to maybe Michigan uh, bailing on Ohio State, uh, you know, how difficult would it be to get a big coordinated effort to lie about that? And then the other one is, would the committee consider moving bottom teams at the bottom of the rankings up into that top 25 to buoy the argument that they have for the teams at the top uh, in terms of schedule strength? Like maybe someone isn't really who they'd put at 24, 25, sure. but if they want to argue oh, about a team at the so top. Sudden, everybody looks great because Missouri's number 25. Right. So if you beat Missouri, then all of a sudden, yeah, I got you. I take the second part first. Having worked with the, the college football playoff people, been through the process and the whole thing, they, look, they're legitimately trying to come up with the best 25 available. And it's, there's always room. What, it drives me up a wall that they don't have a camera in the room when they're debating, and they just and we could see the process. We could watch 
you know, election ballots being counted for a presidential election. We can't watch uh, a bunch of college football experts because they're afraid of Ohio State fans yelling at them. It's (laughs) kind of crazy, but no, there's no conspiracy. They really do meticulously argue and debate each and every one of those spots. So even if we might disagree, there is a rationale from the entire room that each and every one of those teams is in that spot for a reason. So I don't think that's necessarily it in terms of, oh, they have any sort of agenda. Because, again, at the very end of the rainbow is all that matters. Did you win your conference championship? To the, the ducking thing, that's about as harsh a criticism as you can levy against the team is that they're, they're saying you're, they're quitting or they're afraid. And for Michigan specific, the University of Michigan's kind of a mess. And if you, the, the kids are – not in the dorms. They had to leave. They had to pack up. They're trying to find apartments for the next semester. Uh, the school itself has been remote. I mean, that has been a COVID problem all along. So I'm just going to buy into the idea that those that, that's legitimate. And to know the competitor that Jim Harbaugh is and to know what the Ohio State game means, they would rather go out there and get annihilated than have the reputation of that they're ducking Ohio State. Yeah. Well, uh, there's going to be a lot of debate going on after these rankings. We appreciate your insight on the matter, Pete. Thank you. Anytime, you two. Have a great night. Pete Futek, collegefootballnews.com, giving you the straight talk. Brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. Selection committee chairman, the aforementioned Gary Barta, who was a little evasive on whether he'd like to see that matchup for the third time, uh, joins Freddie and Fitman's Freddie. There, I did it again. Freddie and Fitzsimmons. I'm going to finish some words tonight, I promise. Uh, 10 Eastern for Gary Barda on Freddie and Fitzsimmons. A positive test for a player in tonight's game 20 minutes before kickoff. We'll tell you who it is and how it might affect the game coming up next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Sometimes somebody finds the uh, the perfect gif and... Uh, Former ESPNW writer Kavitha Davidson nailed it in responding to a tweet from Des Bryant. He wrote, tell me why they pull me from warming up so I can go get tested. My bleep come back positive. I tested positive for COVID WTF. And Kavitha responded with asked, answered. Yeah, we could tell you exactly why they pulled you from warming up. For whatever reason, they had a feeling that you needed to be tested. And if it was because they had an inconclusive or a previous positive that they wanted to reaffirm, I don't know why the heck you're on the field in the first place moments before a game started. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin on ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast on Apple, uh, iTunes, ESPN App, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Courtney, quickly on that. I, I am trying, and it is impossible, to keep up with the COVID testing when the results come for every sport every week, especially when we have something like Tuesday night football. So explain to me what you might know based on your status working uh, covering the Vikings about how this happens. Why is Des out there warming up and they pull him for a test? Well, I think it's probably something to do with like the timing because typically what do we what do we always hear? The, the news that's leaked from the the league office to NFL Network and our insiders at ESPN, the tweets all come out at the same time right around 8 a.m. on Sunday morning. No new positives, all systems go, et cetera, et cetera. It's so rare that you hear that because it feels like a lot of those tests, guys finding out they're positive, they find out they're positive Sunday night or Monday morning. Um and I just think that the game day testing has not been as foolproof as we might have expected. I mean, there was a reason that it took them a couple weeks into the season before they started implementing it, realizing this is something that we should be doing seven days a week, not just six. Um, 
I think honestly, this whole Des situation, it probably came from an inconclusive test because if he was positive, if they got their round back from what day is it? Tuesday from Monday's testing, or if this was like a PCR or POC test that he got today, the rapid, um, there was, should be no reason that he's out there, obviously yeah, if positive. It's... So I think it's, it's, got to be inconclusive um but i also think that this points to the fact that the ravens still very much have a covid problem this isn't something that just ended last week when they were able to play uh he tweeted out two minutes ago the crazy thing is i have the same damn routine this bleep do not make sense to me um so that's something take with a grain of salt maybe there's something he forgot some difference um or maybe the people around him that he's had the routine with have changed their routines and therefore brought it into his home or otherwise. But it also could be what you just said, which is that that spread there. And they believe, I think uh, uh, I I heard Sal Powell earlier saying at least 30 players and staff on four different sort of strains or spreads within Um, it to me, it feels like it's possible that that was never fully under control as much as that team. And maybe the NFL would hope that it was, yeah, uh, and there's a few other things just to point out here. Uh, Lindsey Jones from The Athletic tweeting that the Ravens, their facility is located near one of the bioreference. That's the company the, the league uses. It's near one of their labs. And they've been getting their morning test results back by early evening. So any positive would then be confirmed by a POC test. So you'd think that that means one of his, his PCR tests came back tonight, whenever, a couple hours ago. And then they did the POC mm-hmm. But was he out there while they were waiting for the results of that? Like that seems a little weird because here's right. the thing: you got like the NFL now has to do c- conduct contact tracing. Are they going to? Well, just it does say on this Jamison Hensley story, he warmed up on the field about two hours before the game, but was absent when Baltimore had full team warmups. Mm-hmm. So yeah, maybe that's a sign that he wasn't around those guys, and hopefully was following protocol right up until that point. You have to hope. Um, for the game tonight. It is a Tuesday night football game. Dallas at Baltimore. An 8.05 Eastern start. So starting very soon here. Courtney, this this Cowboys team now 3-8. and eight. The Ravens expected to be contenders. Lamar Jackson coming off this great season has been a, a disappointment at 6-5. and five. You've got two starting quarterbacks, both of whom are, covering, are recovering from and are coming back from having been on the positive COVID list. And... It's a Tuesday night. I mean, what else can we throw into the mix here to make sure everyone recognizes that this is a full-on 2020? You never go full 2020, and they are doing it. I mean, this is this is. <laughs> I don't know. You can't you can't drum up anything more 2020, more COVID football than what we're seeing right now. And I think it's just kind of wild. It took 13 weeks into the season before. Maybe that Broncos game. Maybe that. Yeah, that's that's fair. That might still take the cake. (laughs) I mean, yeah, no quarterbacks is definitely one thing, but thinking about how many positive cases the the Mm -hmm. Ravens had and that this didn't just magically go away because they played the Steelers last week and everybody's fine. I mean, we know the, you know, the incubation period, what have you, assuming that this Des Bryant thing is indeed a positive test. I mean, who knows? Maybe it's from the initial outbreak. Maybe it's not. All we know is that he doesn't get the reunion against the Cowboys tonight. And I'm not thrilled about that, but, um, I just think, you know, it, it's so wild to me. Like the, I was like dr- trying to drum up my brain. I was like, when did the Cowboys play last? Was that really Thanksgiving? Yeah, I want to um, say 18 days, right? Yeah, nearly two weeks ago. And everybody's adjusting their practice schedule. Everybody's adjusting the day-to-day. I mean, now you have a situation where teams aren't allowed in the facility on Monday and Tuesday. 
because of these COVID outbreaks, because uh, of what happens in games and potential spread and, you know, incubation and all that stuff that everything's changing. And, and the amount of actual work you're doing during the week is, is making, it's, it's just far less. It's making for a tough schedule and, and so many changes every single week that I don't know. I mean, I look at this whole thing and I just wonder, you know, when, when is a Wednesday game going to come? Is it still too late for that, that we're going right. to be getting like Wednesday and Friday football? D- double header on Thursday, the start of one week and the end of the last one. <laughs> yeah, pretty yeah, much. I mean, we're, we're at week 13 and it's Tuesday uh, yeah. and it's our second week with, with games that are spread out to the middle of the week. To your point, uh, the Cowboys um, grieving the death of their strength and um, conditioning coordinator Marcus Paul dealing with the devastating injury to Dak Prescott, multiple quarterbacks in and out, COVID, postponed games, a beleaguered first year for Mike McCarthy, uh, a, a beleaguered coach, I should say, in Mike McCarthy in his first year. It, it, there's, it's, it's a lot going on over there. Um, I'm, I'm wondering when you look at the NFC East and the switching back and forth between all of these lesser teams at, at the top, is it worth it for all of them to fight for that playoff spot? I saw two differing opinions, some arguing that, yeah, absolutely, you always take a shot at the playoffs if you can get it, and then others saying, what kind of things are you doing to your draft status because playoff teams are always going to be slotted below um, regardless of their record. Uh, what do you take on that? It's interesting because the NFC East could have been what the NFC well the NFC North could have been what the NFC East is now with multiple five and seven teams. The NFC North could have had three after this past weekend, um, but it's the Giants in Washington that you know they're tied you know right now for for first place. Well, Giants are obviously ahead of them, but both have equal five and seven records, and then the Eagles and the Cowboys three and eight. Like this is a bad division. And it's like, how do you, unless you're full on tanking, how do you say we're going to prioritize 2021 and building for that year and draft positioning over, you know, I think you can't tell Washington that they shouldn't have tried to win the Steelers game last night. I don't see how it's possible. Yeah, it's kind of a mess. Uh, it's it's uh, certainly something to keep an eye on for those teams. Pennzoil synthetic motor oils are made from natural gas, gives you unbeatable engine protection. The proof is in the Pennzoil based on sequence 4A wear test using SAE 5W30. Rockets talk next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. All right. Des Bryant continues to tweet through his uh, reaction to testing positive for COVID. Uh, This one about 10 minutes ago. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and call it quit for the rest of the season. I can't deal with this. We'll see if that's just the frustration of the moment. If he'll revisit his decision making and maybe someone will take away that phone and advise him to hold off a bit on those reactions. Keep you updated on that and anything else that needs to be said about this Tuesday night football game and whether he was indeed around others and, and whether this is safe to play. Uh, but we're going to switch gears for a moment, talk a little James Harden with someone who can give us uh, the temperature of Houston. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance and joining us now on the Shell Penzel Performance Line from the No Layups podcast, Raheel Remzanali. I'm going to get that right on the first try next time. Raheel, uh, I, I am endlessly frustrated with James Harden because of his non-COVID abiding behavior, 
because of the leverage she's taking away from the Rockets. If he wants out, why not make it easier for the team to do that? And because of the selfishness, I am all for player empowerment. I just don't understand how you don't have some personal accountability when you're a guy making that much money who has demanded so many different times for the team to do what you want, and things don't look exactly the way you'd like, and you, you pout and you quit. Uh, are, are you feeling the same way, or are you more empathetic to him? No, I, I feel exactly the same way. But before I answer, I know you had your run-ins with Red Rowdy Twitter. So let's have a little moment of silence because they lost their hero in the last few days. And it's oh, the no. funniest thing to watch. Oh, no. Because it, for the longest time, it was James Harden. James Harden, he's our savior. He can do no wrong. And they have officially turned on James Harden. And somebody wow. that I, I lost interest in James for a long time already. You can just tell, like, this, it, the guy cares about himself. Okay, he cares mm-hmm. about the offensive side. He's never improved defensively outside of the post defense, and that's like six possessions a game. And, and I was over it, but these, but the red rowdy Twitter, right? And especially doing radio in Houston, you get attacked by them, and you felt their wrath before. Oh, I did. But now they lost their savior, and it's awesome. Uh, I might, I might I have to it. tune in for some Shoyden Frauder radio. I might, <laughs> I might just need to soothe the soul. <laughs> Man, and there's so much going on with everything that you mentioned, right? Like the the COVID stuff, first of all, what are you doing? The optics of it are horrible, right? I get Like you might be getting tested. Everyone might have been tested. Fine. But the optics of it are bad. You're partying when you're supposed to be reporting for training camp. Uh, The entire offseason, it was the moves are made for you. The moves are once again made to appease James Harden like they have been for the last five, six years. It's all about James Harden. And when the team gives you everything, when the team gives you the opportunity to win, and they do everything to make sure you're happy, and now it's your turn to return the favor and you do this, this is why the fan base is over it. And I can understand your frustration. I'm with you. It's just, it's sad to see. It seems like he's like super adamant that he wants out of there, but before the season. I mean, we talked about maybe it's up until the deadline, maybe create a little bit of leverage, but... Clearly, we're talking about someone who has selfish intentions here, but like, why will he not give this roster at least a puncher's chance here? Like, I mean, see yeah. that there's John Wall, see that there's Demarcus Cousins, some other guys that he knows pretty well. I mean, they, like you said, like crafted this thing for him. Why can't he even give it a chance? I, and that's a great point, Courtney. Like, give it a chance, right? Why not try this out? You've got a great coach coming in who's an offensive innovator who's been around the NBA for 20 years. He understands it. They got better. Their roster is better in terms of a fit for James Harden. Once again, I think Russell Westbrook went healthy and John Wall went healthy. Russell Westbrook is still a better player, but the fit is better with John Wall. Christian Wood, that signing, upgrading their big man for the modern-day big man that can stretch the floor, that can switch everything. All of these moves were made with one man in mind, and that was James Harden. And, you know, then you get reports today from Wood saying that he is, you know, he just wants to go play for a contender. And if you're a fan, if you are, forget a fan, if you work for the Rockets and you go, hey, like, we did everything to make this team a contender, and now you're just going to be like, no, we're good? That, that, that's not a good look, and, and the frustration is building up. And why should the Rockets trade him for whatever, right, just because he wants to go to the Nets or the Sixers? No, you've got to get the right package back because you put in the time. You've put in that investment of making sure that you have a championship roster, and we're not just going to trade you away because you're throwing a fit. 
Raheel Ramzanali of the No Layups podcast with us here on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Raheel, what about his teammates? Uh, we hear so much about his opinion on whether he likes playing with Chris Paul or Russell Westbrook or whether he likes coaches or, or anything else. We don't hear a lot from others about the selfishness of his behavior. Is that simply because they know you know, who the superstar is and, and that yep. they, they, they can't speak publicly about it? Yeah, because the last guy to speak publicly about it and kind of point out some of the flaws of the organization, it was Chandler Parsons. And he just, they were just like, okay, we're good with you, Chandler. You're out. We're, we're fine. Go take that deal with Dallas and, and we'll move on. It's not a big deal. You, you saw the reports with Russell Westbrook. And again, Russell Westbrook hasn't publicly said anything, but we, we, we trust reports, right? And the reports were that he didn't believe this culture was conducive to winning. And that culture is. Hey, James, we'll do anything for you, James. James, we love you, James. James, please, what else can we do? Oh, get rid of CP3 after a down year and not give one of the best pros a chance to improve on his game? And guess what he did, Sarah? He improved on his game, and CP3 Mm -hmm. had a great year with Oklahoma City. But because James didn't want CP3 there, because James doesn't like the critical aspect of somebody else pointing out his flaws a la CP3, they move on, right? And, And it gets old. So, and, and, and sorry, with the players, uh, I just want to say one thing. They've been great about it because they understand, right? They, they get it. It's a business, and it's all about James and all that. But it, covering training camp right now, everyone's been, you know, they're not commenting on it, but they've taken the right attitude of Stephen Silas. Let's focus on Stephen Silas. Let's focus on what this offense is going to do. Let's focus on this team and who's here so far. So, so we know that the Sixers and the Nets are like the hot names as far as potential destinations for a trade, but – is there anybody we're not talking about that could realistically make this happen? Potentially, I don't know, the New Orleans Pelicans. Are they a potential fit, or is it just a two-team race because that's where he wants to go? Because as we've talked about, like he's not doing himself any favors. He has zero leverage right now. If the Rockets really say, to hell with you, we're done with this headache, they could send him wherever. Yeah, in terms of a fit, what the Rockets are looking for, from my understanding, is they want a superstar in return, right? And that usually doesn't happen with superstar trade. You normally don't get back the same caliber player. Uh, they want that, and they want a lot of picks in return for James Harden so they can start building for the future. And first-year GM Rafael Stone gets a chance to make his imprint on the organization. There's really, like, looking at all the potential trades, I don't see any, any of those criteria met, right, for superstars that want out as well superstars that could be the right fit there's nothing out there and just me personally you know as somebody that watches the nba i know a lot of people kind of look at the nets trade and some of the offers that we've heard right uh with spencer dinwiddie jared allen and uh karis levert i actually like that package i think karis levert's gonna be a really good player you're just not gonna get a james harden back but at some point you have to get a young guy and you hope that steven silas and his coaching staff and his offense can groom him to be the next all-star. So I, I, I don't mind the Nets you know, trade, but it almost seems like the Rockets are like, no, just because you want to go there, we're not going to do it now. Guess what? You figure it out, James. Yeah, it could, uh, could end up worse than he thinks. He's imagining pairing up with the Nets, and he mm-hmm. could end up somewhere much worse. Hey, Raheel, thanks as always for the insight, and uh, you know, good luck with all those bros in Houston uh, mourning the loss of their hero. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you so much. I'll talk to you next time. Raheel Ramzanali, No Layups podcast with us here on Spain and Fitz. Coming up, 
We'll talk to a wide receiver from the team that shocked the football world yesterday and upended the Steelers en route to a perfect season. It's coming up next on Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. All right, so Tuesday night football is happening, despite the fact that we're hearing word of Des Bryant hugging some former teammates pregame, but they've decided and announced no close contacts, no concerns, play on. Okay. Uh, we'll keep you updated on that game. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz tonight on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. And joining us now on the Shell Penzo performance line, part of the heroic team that upended the Steelers yesterday, a surprising game and a surprising year for a Washington team that's had a, a, a whole lot going on since even before the season started. It's wide receiver Terry McLaurin. Terry, thanks for the time. Hi, how are you guys doing? Thanks for having me. We are doing all right. What a strange season, and perhaps for your team more than any other in terms of you don't have a real name. There's this conflict and controversy before the season begins, in and outs at the quarterback position, and this miraculous win yesterday. Take me into the locker room before you're facing an undefeated Steelers team and how you approach a game like that. Um, well, I feel like it, it started with our week of preparation. Um, you know, we, we kind of benefited from a little bit of time off, so we, we did a good job of taking care of our bodies after a tough win in Dallas. Um, but I think the mindset going into the game is we had a chance to win that game as long as we uh, took care of ourselves and we didn't need anybody else to necessarily believe, but as long as we prepared the right way and we didn't shoot ourselves in the foot, we would have a chance to win. And, um, you know, it was a, it was a four quarter battle, obviously, and, um, you know, they're a great team. So, um, it was, it was a, it was a really great moment in that locker room afterwards. In a great moment for, for coach Ron Rivera, who we saw on the sideline, um, they kept referencing his story and being diagnosed mm-hmm. with cancer and a lymph node. And then seven weeks of treatment that ended at the end of October, um, three rounds of chemotherapy during all of this. And it's just kind of like, we're, we're talking about this in the midst of a pandemic. So obviously health is a big deal right now, but what your coach went through and missing what, just a couple practices, but never sitting out a game, you know, what has that been like to see up close this season as you guys are going through an unprecedented season in your own right? Um, most definitely. Um, you know, it's tough times for everyone. And, um, you know, as it pertains to us seeing Coach Rivera going through what he's going through, on top of his being his first year coaching this team, um, and you, you would have never thought anything was wrong. And he had every right to take as much time as he needed and and kind of focus on himself. And while he did that, he was in great hands by some great doctors um, and his family. But he, he he came to work every day like, you know, nothing, just every everything was okay. And, um, you know, he came in and he, uh, he would give us our, our morning, you know, speeches and things like that. And, and he was very heavily involved as much as he could. And um, to see your coach, your head guy, who's your leader, go through that and, and, and come out the other side even stronger, it almost lights a fire to everybody else because it's like, well, if he can make it to that, then, you know, I have no reason not to give it my all. So I feel like that, that really has helped um, us along the season as well, seeing that. Washington wide receiver Terry McLaurin with us here on Spain and Fitz. Yesterday, there was that photo circulating of Alex Smith's left leg. Uh, He got cleated, so he's bleeding down his ankle. And, you know, it took everyone a moment to understand. He's fine. It's football. It's a tough game. It's the other leg. Mm -hmm. 
But every time anything happens with that guy, I cringe and I hold my breath. Did it take you guys a little bit of time too to trust that he's out there and you're not gonna you're not gonna have to see something bad happen to him when he takes a sack or otherwise? Yeah, well, um, you know, it's actually ironic because Alex is a lot uh, like Coach Rivera when, you know, the adversity that they've been through, you wouldn't think anything of it. Um, Alex comes in every day and, you know, he handles what he needs to do in the treatment room and, and he's involved in our meetings and, you know, the walkthroughs. He's just so hands-on. Um, it helps everybody. And, you know, his adversity that he went through with the, with the injury and everything, you would have never thought that because of the way he approaches each and every day. And it's cool to have your head coach like that, but also your your quarterback. So, um, you know, he's he's leading us right now. He's doing a really good job. Be honest. Did you look at the the video and the photos of of his leg at its worst in that ESPN special? Yeah, I did see it, and um, it, it's it's crazy. I mean, it's I think it's a uh, a testament to his his hard work, his dedication, and. Um, you know, he, I know he has a great support system. So, um, but just to come back from that, it's, it's, it's a blessing. The NFC as a whole kind of feels like it's weird. I mean, there's like a couple teams at the top that once they feel invincible, but they're up there and then there's everybody else fighting for these final, you know, uh, final seeds in the wild card round, you know, seeds five through seven. And you guys are on a three game win streak right now. Got a game coming up against San Francisco on Sunday. What do you like? Where is this team going into the final quarter of the season after, you know, you start out the year with the win and then go through, you know, a losing pitfall there until the Dallas game? Like, where do you guys feel like you're at at a point here to try to win the NFC East and get that playoff game? Uh, well, one thing Coach Rivera has been preaching to us just control our, our own destiny, take care of us, and, you know, don't worry about everything else that's going on on the outside. And, that will give us the best chance to be successful. So um, I think that's what we're going to do. Well, we've had some great wins, and we're, we're on a great win streak. Uh, we don't think we've arrived or think, you know, hey, we deserve to be in the playoffs because that's not how it works. It's a week, it's a day-by-day, week-by-week process, and I feel like we're embracing that um, as a football team. And, you know, we had some adversity throughout the year, but um, I feel like you have to be playing your best ball around this time of December going into January if you want to have a chance. So hopefully how we continue to trend in that way. We're going to learn from what our mistakes have been and, and try to clean that up going down the stretch. Terry McLaren of the Washington football team with us here on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. That scary Terry rep earned not just in the NFL, but also collegiately with Ohio State. How are you handling the stress of watching your team play as well as they have, be able to, to maybe make a run and then lose out on games and have other teams pull out. What's it been like this year? Uh, it, it's tough, um, especially when you know those guys personally and the coaches and the players and um, to see all the adversity they're going through. It's a lot different than the NFL. Um, you know, they have different circumstances than we do. And you just see, you know, all across the country, they just want to play and, you know, they're not neglecting what's going on with the pandemic going on around our world. But um, if, the, if the protocols were in place, they, they wanted a chance to compete. So, you know, they've had the ups and downs and I saw their game against the team of North was canceled. And, you know, that's, that's devastating, but I hope that it still, you know, works out in the end for them. And I know at the end of the day, um, coach Dave's going to have them ready mentally and physically for whatever's next. 
Terry, you weren't a rookie all that long ago, so I want to ask this question just in, ter- in terms of maybe my own recency bias with this, but you had an, a really good rookie season in the conversation for Offensive Rookie of the Year. Can you tell me at least like what it means right now, what we're seeing from Justin Jefferson, who, you know, such a yeah. deep wide receiver draft class in 2020, um, and he's the fifth. you got a minute or so because we're, yeah. we're, we're hitting the break soon. So, uh, yeah, let's hear what, what you make of his season. Um, well, I think Justin Jefferson is a very dynamic player. He he could take the top off the defense. He could run routes. He could uh, has a run after the catch. So I think he has a lot of tools in his toolbox at a very young age. And to think, um, you know, they have a nice run game. He has Adam Thielen on the other side. It's only helping him. And I feel like he's just getting continuing to get better and to have a thousand yards with what four games left. That's pretty impressive. So um, you know, shout out to him and just hope he continues to to. Um, control what he can control and, and make place for his team. Yeah, a century of uh, that team up north in Ohio State facing off and we don't get to see it. Uh, maybe Harbaugh happy about that one this year. Uh, Terry, thanks for the time. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much. You guys have a good one. Washington wide receiver Terry McLaurin with us here on Spain and Fitz after a big win over the Steelers yesterday. Coming up, we'll talk some more football with Bill Barnwell chiming in on a a week that's not done yet still. (laughs) It's coming up next on Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Welcome back to Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain with you. Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz tonight on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Also, you can subscribe to the podcast. Uh, Spain and Fitz podcast, including a little pre-party today that really went off the rails. It it was... uh, it was a load of fun, is all I'll say. Uh, Bill Barnwell of the Bill Barnwell Show podcast joins us now to get into a little NFL talk. Uh, Bill, I want to do a segment, and I keep teasing it, and one of these days I'm actually going to pull it off, but it's called Mood Swings, and it's uh, talking about the teams and players in the NFL that we have swung the most on from side to side this year. And among those is, of course, Baker Mayfield and the Browns. I found your discussion yesterday with Pablo on ESPN Daily especially insightful because the information you gave about that combined to 76 points uh, that the Browns have have, have lost uh, to good teams and their combined, you know, five points that they've won against a couple good teams. Uh, can you sort of explain why you are not as turned by the Browns win over the Titans as many others seem to be in, cer- in terms of jumping on the bandwagon? Yeah, sure. I mean, this is a great win. I don't want to take anything away from how the Browns played yesterday, but that's really their only impressive win against playoff competition. I mean, they, their, their victories are 9-3. and three. That's great. They're going to be in the playoffs, but they've beaten the, up the NFC East. They beat the Bengals twice. They've beat the Texans and the Jaguars by a combined five points. They, they beat the Colts by nine. That's impressive. Colts are a good football team. But really until yesterday, I know the score was closed, but there was a blowout, let's be honest, for most of that game. Um, that was really the first time we've seen the Browns play a high level against a playoff team. And their losses to Baltimore, to Pittsburgh, by Las Vegas, all 10 points or more, 30-point losses uh, to the Ravens and the Steelers. So I just don't know if this is a team where once you get those NFC East teams, once you get the, the Bengals out of the playoff picture come January, I'm just skeptical that this team can win three or four games in a row against playoff-level competition. So in Philly, I have a question. Mm-hmm. 
because I'm kind of confused <laughs> as to like why this could never work the way that at least I think it would work. So there's mm-hmm. an article up. Um, my colleague Tim McManus put something together explaining the whole Carson Wentz benching and, and what this means for Jalen Hurts. Um, let's say this doesn't work out. And sm- sample size here. I mean, they're three, eight, and one. If they're if they're trying to get mm-hmm. to the top of the NFC East, maybe it's possible because that division's not very good. But let's say it it doesn't go well for whatever reason with Jalen Hurts. Do you see any circumstance mm-hmm. where the final three games of the year Carson Wentz gets his job back, and then they decide in twenty twenty one off season what they want to do? Hundred percent. I mean, that's hundred percent the wrong word, but I think that's totally plausible that they could come out and give Jalen Hurts this start, maybe even a couple starts. Say, hey. You know, we kind of saw what we saw. He's still a work in progress. We're going back to Carson. Carson's going to be our guy going forward. It's going to be extremely difficult financially for the Eagles to move on from Carson Wentz after this season. They would basically have to wait until after June 1st to trade Carson Wentz, which, you know, there's just not going to be many teams out there at quarterback who are going to be willing to wait until after June 1st to have that starting quarterback situation settled. And then cutting him, I and mean, they could cut him if they post June first release, but I don't really see the point. You know, the Eagles don't have a solution. If Jalen Hurts is, looks phenomenal over the final few games of the year, maybe that's their option. Maybe they decide to just go ahead and cut Carson Wentz. But I think what you're, what you're suggesting, Courtney, is the most likely option. The, the Eagles are going to give Jalen Hurts a shot. Um, maybe it'll just be the Saints game. Maybe this is kind of sacrificial to kind of have him go up against this really tough competition. Uh, maybe give Carson a week off to, you know, kind of build his confidence and then see what happens going forward. But I, I still think the week one starter in 2021 for the Philadelphia Eagles is Carson Wentz. And I think that maybe 75, 80% of the time, he's the guy in week one of 21. It's Spain and Fitz. Courtney Cronin in for Fitz tonight. Bill Barnwell of the Bill Barnwell Show podcast with us here on ESPN Radio. I know it's a fluid situation and it is uh, still going on, but Des Bryant tests positive just before this game tonight. Tom Pelissero mm-hmm. is is reporting that the NFL did their usual contact tracing, including that connects on tracking data, the interviews and everything, mm-hmm. didn't determine any high-risk close contact, same procedures as any other positive test. How is that possible knowing that, that there was <laughs> posts about – uh, him hugging former teammates and staff members from the Cowboys pregame. Well, the NFL has a very interesting definition of close contact. <laughs> Having a quick hug or brief chat with some it's of your the old fifteen friends, minute thing again, huh? A close contact. Yeah, it seems it seems unlikely. Close contact seems to be having a a sustained lengthy. Uh, point of time around someone else who ends up testing positive or is exposed to the virus. So it seems like that is the NFL's definition. Now, I don't know about you guys. The NFL has been pretty aggressive about trying to play this uh, season in 17 weeks without having to resort to a week 18. I don't think they wanted to suspend this game or postpone this game on a half hour or an hour's notice. So I don't think the NFL is lying, but I think they are um, certainly happy at the very least that their very arbitrary, slim definition of close contacts uh, did not qualify for, you know, getting rid of a bunch of players who were about to play in this football game. I want to jump back to the Wentz thing really quick because it just popped into my mm-hmm. brain. I mean, you talk about June 1st and, you know, designating, designating him potentially a post-June 1 cut, you know, just based on the cap implications and all that because of that $59 million uh, dead cap hit. What teams mm-hmm. are there out there? Because I know that, you know, of course, in my brain, I'm like, let's do like a three-way trade and make it really crazy. But obviously, <laughs> the NFL doesn't allow for things that are fun. Um, but, 
like which teams would be able to absorb that number and who might be in the market for a veteran quarterback at that point next season? It's not many teams. I mean, you assume teams like the Jags and the Jets are going to be um, drafting a quarterback, right? So then there's really only, I would say, other teams who are looking for a veteran quarterback who have the cap space to go after a veteran quarterback with Carson Wentz's guarantee, which is about $47 million over the next two years. And remember, a league where the cap is about to go down by $25 million uh, for the first time in, in a decade or two, I could think of three teams, really, the Colts, the Patriots, and the Broncos. Maybe the 49ers, if they cut Jimmy Garoppolo, maybe the Vikings, if they maneuver some things and get rid of Kirk Cousins. But really, it comes down to three teams, Indianapolis, New England, and Denver. So two of those teams are pretty smart. Colts are very, very smart with draft picks, and, and their, their cap, the Patriots, we saw they waited until Cam Newton was very cheap and then signed him you know, for basically the minimum. Um, Broncos, maybe a little more desperate, but they're also in tougher cap shape than those other two teams. So really, there's not going to be a big market. So if you're the, the Eagles, it's not just, hey, are we willing to cut Carson Wentz or trade Carson Wentz, but are we going to trade Carson Wentz to the Patriots for a fifth-round pick and then see him you know, worry about him succeeding there and having traded away the guy we thought was the franchise quarterback for pennies on the dollar? Mm. Man, what a mess. Absolute mess. Bill Barnwell with <laughs> us here on Spain and Fitz. Uh, you know, just in case we don't have time, before I get to the other question I want, is there a story in the NFL that you're not being asked about that you think is particularly interesting that people are overlooking? By the way, first off, I want to say, Sarah, you're a Bears fan, and you're commenting on how much of a mess the Eagles quarterback okay. situation is. That okay. Should tell, that should be telling. That should I agree, be telling but the Bears don't have a $59 million cap, dead cap hit on the books if neither of these guys works out. They actually managed to work out a better deal for them if Foles sucked than if they had just taken on the rest of his contract from from last season. So, you know, there's Mm -hmm. a tiny little silver lining to their mess. I will say this much. Something that comes to mind for me is what's happening with Kyler Murray. This is a guy who, three weeks ago, after that Bills game, we were all talking about as an MVP Mm -hmm. candidate. We were talking about as a, you know, a, a absolute superstar in his prime, a guy who was going to, you know, transform the Cardinals. They've lost three straight. The Cardinals are 6-6, six and six and their offense looks ordinary at best. It looks pretty mediocre. I mean, they really don't move the ball very well against the Rams all game on Sunday. The Rams are a good defense, but they've been struggling for a few weeks now. So to me, I think, you know, I, I'm not saying Kyler was a fraud. I don't think that's what I'm trying to say here. But what I'm suggesting is maybe that offense needs to be refreshed a bit. They need to go back to maybe taking more deep shots, attacking more. Um, someone put out a graphic this week. I want to say Graham Barfield maybe about DeAndre Hopkins' routes over the past few weeks, he's running the same out route over and over and over and over again. And I just think, you know, the Cardinals right now are a team that we thought were blocks to make the playoffs, and right now they're kind of struggling. It is an interesting one. That and the Titans are another one that I I think we'll add add the Cardinals, we'll add the Titans to mood swings, uh, teams that we keep vacillating on. Why do you think that team keeps showing up so inconsistently week in and week out? Tennessee? Yeah. Defense is a mess. I mean, I, I talked about it on Scott Santel's show this week. They're thirty. They were thirty-first heading into the the uh, Ravens. Oh, right, the Browns game. Excuse me. Thirty-first heading into the Browns game on passes with play action involved. And Baker Mayfield ate them alive with play action passes in that game. They have no pass rush. I mean, Jeffy and Clowney and Vic Beasley, the guys they signed to be their veteran pass rushers this year, 
Beasley's been cut. Clowney's done for the year. They combined for zero sacks, which is crazy given how good those guys can be when they're healthy and on their game. So I, I think that really they're dependent right now on Derrick Henry to be a monster. And we know Derrick Henry can do that, but we saw last week when, when Tennessee got out of the game early, when Derrick Henry was kind of taken out of the game because they were down by 20 points, their offense, you know, was able to slowly catch up. The Browns really didn't have their foot on the pedal in the second half, but I mean, they were blown out of that game for most of the contest. So I think with Tennessee, you know, last year it was maybe more complimentary. They had, you know, guys like Logan Ryan who could make plays on defense, but without a pass rush, they're just getting kicked apart uh, on the defensive side of the ball. And then that's putting them in vulnerable situations to run the football. So I think they have to find some semblance of a pass rush, whether it's blitzing more, whether it's trying different guys on the edge, whether it's signing somebody. They're just right now, I don't think, a complete enough team to really go deep in the playoffs. Awesome stuff as always, Bill. Really appreciate it. Get back to that Tuesday night football game. Classic. I remember watching Tuesday night football with my parents growing yeah. up. Yeah. <laughs> so I feel like I'm right at home. Time-honored tradition. Uh, Bill Barnwell. You can hear him on the <laughs> Bill Barnwell Show podcast. Also, almost every Monday with Pablo Torre on ESPN Daily, giving you the best recap of the NFL weekend. Don't miss it. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. At Progressive, they're making things even easier. They'll help you bundle your car and home insurance together so you can save on both. Learn more at Progressive.com or 1-800-PROGRESSIVE. An update on the uh, time-honored tradition of Tuesday Night Football. And we'll re-hit those college football rankings in case you missed it earlier. It's next. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio. Des Bryant still tweeting <laughs> this time. I'm about to drink some wine and cope, which I believe is the most common tweet of 2020. (laughs) I'm about to drink some wine and cope. He might be home. He might have just been advised to settle down now, simmer down now, and uh, maybe not make rash decisions about the future of his season uh, in the moments after testing positive and and being frustrated by that test. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain. Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz tonight on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. You guys had some thoughts on Des Bryant. I know not the first for this, but the one that chimed in on the Spain and Fitz Nation uh, at Emma Bean 2000 Moj hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed and said, can't wait till this turns out to be a false positive for Des. We all know it wasn't a catch. Uh, lots of variations on he couldn't have caught COVID because it wasn't a catch. Uh, that one among those. Also, in response to our conversation with Bill Barnwell just now, where I got a little defensive when he tried to bring the Bears into things, a uh, regular listener and the guy who I hope to continue to beat in fantasy football this week at Angry Bears FDM uh, hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed to join Spain and Fitz Nation and said, uh, if it doesn't work out for the Eagles and Hurts, then they're basically the Bears, but worse. That's awful. And that is true because, again, the Bears have a terrible quarterback situation, Courtney, but it's the dead cap space and the way they structured that deal with Wentz that really makes this terrible for them. I mean, this is not the first time the Eagles have found themselves in, like, salary cap hell. Like, this is always what they do. I mean, like, the Saints get away with it because they just – they've had the same quarterback for forever and keep kicking the can down the road, and eventually that bill's going to come. But, like, the Eagles always find themselves, like, up until, like, the last minute with, like, $500,000 in available spending money, um, if you want to call it that. And it's just, I, somehow they make it work, but this one, I don't understand 
any way other than if he's traded. And I don't think he, people think he's damaged goods. So like he's not some veteran um, who's been in the league for, you know, I don't know, nine years where it's like, is this guy actually good or did we just pay him a lot? No, you know, you don't have any, any clue I'm talking about, but um, right. <laughs> it's a, uh, it's, I think it's a situation with Carson Wentz that either way, someone's going to give him a shot. I, I just don't understand anybody wanting to absorb that cap hit without a restructure somewhere along the way. So if they can do it, as Bill said, it's going to be a post-June one thing anyways. And, and even then, it's kind of a lot. And it would be just so Patriots to take him on. And then he goes right back to excelling <laughs> just because... That's the fear. That's the fear in trading any anyone to the Patriots. If they want them, you got to figure out why. And if they don't want someone, you got to figure out why on that too. It's Spain and Fitz, Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. We had a fun, weird, gross pre-party today. Fifteen or twenty minutes worth of just gabbing about um a pa. I'm gonna say a pool of poop was the main focus of the yeah. conversation. So if that ain't a tease that gets you running to the podcast, I don't know what is. Uh, that'll be up a little bit after the show tonight with the pre-party and the rest of the show. Um, we started talking uh, with Fitz early on uh, about the college football playoff rankings. Uh, we, we got the latest round. Uh, top four, all the same. So much focus on Ohio State um, and, and their place within this, particularly because of the game with Michigan being called off. Will they go looking for another opponent? And what does it mean if the rules don't change for them, there's a meeting tomorrow to try to figure out whether the Big Ten will be looser on the expectations for teams that can qualify for the championship. Um, Gary Barta, uh, playoff committee chairman, is going to join uh, Freddie and Fitzsimmons at 10 Eastern. But we do have a little sound from him already tonight on the situation surrounding Ohio State. Conference championships one is one criteria that we use, and certainly uh, that'll be considered but, of course, we consider the entire body of work, and we look at teams they've played head-to-head. So it's one important piece, but uh, it's, not, it's not the only piece. What do you make of that? Well, I feel like this is even more pressure now for the Big Ten, uh, all the athletic directors that are going to meet tomorrow, uh, to vote to change the rule, to make Ohio State eligible for the championship game next week, even at 5-0, and because... We know they're not playing Michigan this week, and it just doesn't feel like there's going to be any way that they can schedule another Big Ten opponent. I mean, Indiana looked like it could have been the one if Purdue, since Purdue, we found out earlier today, was is not going to be. Uh, they're pausing things for right now, but then Indiana's in a yeah, situation. Yeah, it's not official now. for Purdue, but it like, seems like that's the direction they were going. Yeah, and I and just now I Indiana's mean, jumped in the same boat, uh, having to shut things down for now. It's either that where they just change the rule. Some there's going to be some kicking and screaming along the way, but it happens. And you know, you can kind of credit Ohio State. They've carried the Big Ten for a long time. Um, they've been you know a perennial winner of this conference. It's throwing them a bone essentially. Or or the caveat here would be changing the rule to let Ohio State go pick up another game within a couple days and play this weekend so they can get the sixth. I think there's only one of two ways because the way that he made that sound is that you guys better we, – we look heavily at the conference champion, you know, the winner of that, so uh, – of the championship, so might want to be in there. Outside of folks who have a very vested interest in being in that title game, regardless of whether it's truly earned, I don't see very many people complaining if they find a way to get Ohio State in. I just don't. Like, they are very clearly the best team. And – it, doing what you need to do 
when the the rules that you made at the beginning were arbitrary anyway, and this mm-hmm. season is a total bleep show. It, it normally I'm such a stickler for rules. I'm such a stickler for saying uh, something and then following through. But in this case, everything's a mess, Courtney. It would just feels stranger to me for Ohio State not to be in that game. Yeah, and I think the the people you'd probably have throwing a shoe about it would be who throws a shoe, honestly. I mean. Can you find me like another like colloquial? Is it colloquial? no? I appreciate it. Colloquialism. No, I was just yeah. following through with it. You set me up for the Austin Powers line. I mean, I feel like Indiana people, and I'm not just saying this as an Indiana grad, but like I think a lot of Indiana people would not be thrilled if Ohio State, a team that they put 500 yards up on two weeks ago, makes it in when that could have been their spot. And yeah, it would be by a technicality. Maybe it's not the best way, but they're having an incredible season and. I just think that's um, that. Those are the people you're going to be hearing the loudest from, if indeed that happens, which it kind of feels like that's all which, headed that way. By the way, if Ohio State didn't get in and Indiana won, that wouldn't necessarily mean they're in the playoffs. They probably wouldn't be. They no, lost to correct. Ohio State. So if you're just finagling to avoid the loss that's kind of inevitable uh, so that you can claim something that wasn't really yours and was a weird season anyway, I don't know if that's worth throwing a shoe over, as one would say. Uh, Courtney, thanks for hanging out, and sorry about all the poop talk. We'll, we'll promise next time, probably less. Freddie Fitzsimmons coming up. Subscribe to Spain and Fitz Pod. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz Podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.